Um, teaching of the Buddha sometimes it's a has a paradoxical uh, flavor to it because it's uh, seems in some ways things like nirvana, the deathless liberation, freedom, and so forth are very uh, kind of fine ideas and concepts and seem to be formless, immaterial, you know, wood is not liberated, you know, it's it's some kind of immaterial state or another, we imagine it to be, it's quite a, we can only take these things because we can't see them with our eyes or touch them with our fingers as some kind of immaterial state or something like that, that's the only way we can conceive it as an idea. Don't really know what it means, but some kind of amazing experience in the mind happens, or something like that. So this is very much about this this kind of subtlest level of of mind, <coughs> and also yet also the teaching is very much emphasising being present in the conditioned realm, the body, the feelings. Um, the volitional elements, the pushes and drives, the urges that we have, actually being very present with that, the practice of mindfulness and clear comprehension is to be very fully present with that. I mean, we recognize what a tremendous uh, um, challenge that is, actually, you know, to do this, just to, to be with our bodies, the feelings in the bodies, the energies in the body, the movements, the breathing in and out, the, the um, qualities of mind, whether the mind is tight or bright, is actually being with that, mm. Mm. rather than sp- going off somewhere else. So somehow, and yet, as Buddha is saying, this is the this is the path to this nibbana, deathless, liberated, whatever that is, and yet we're going right into the very thing that seems the least liberated of the lot. And in a way, the, the Buddha's life exemplifies that very par- paradox as his enlightened being. And yet, to the Buddha, as he appears in the, at least in the Pali Canon, is very much a human being with a human body, um, you know, a birth and a death, got sick, got old, wrinkled, body feeling painful, and, and so forth, um, to go seeking alms food. Um, several times got severe cases of dysentery and colic. Um, had to go hungry at times. 
and is actually very much committed to living in that way that you know forces or makes one very aware of bodily experience and bodily discomforts and so on and so you know really committing himself to that and encouraging other people to do so with all kinds of instructions on you know how to how to manage this you know in a way that would be so one's least distracted as possible. For example, even that precept about not lying on a high or luxurious sleeping place. So you have to, you can't just kind of go into some feather bed cocoon. You have to feel, you know, the weight of the body, and uh, even when you lie down, so you can meditate just sensing the weight of the body, the pressure of the body on the ground, and meditate like that. It's very much about really feeling your body and you can imagine someone living out in the open in India do you think they never got bitten by mosquitoes do you think they never felt the earth beneath their feet do you think they never got hot or cold and yet this is the kind of life the Buddha encouraged when you're very much getting this stuff happening to you and there aren't you know you know air-conditioned rooms or centrally heated rooms or running water at, uh, at the correct temperature to bathe in. <laughs> you know, it's all pretty raw stuff coming at you. And, uh, you know, very much committing yourself to that and making the kind of rules whereby one really couldn't move far away from that. You're actually forbidden to have, um, you know, luxurious things that take you away from that. Mm. Yeah, think of the summoner. <clears throat> and though the Buddha himself just experimenting with things like cold, lying out in the in the winter time in India to find out how much cloth you actually would was the bare minimum you might need to be able to su- survive through the night. You know, so he decided one wasn't enough, so he got down to three layers of cloth for an Indian night, which actually is it's pretty difficult, uh, unless it was a, unless it was warmer at night. But I think if you were perhaps in a forest where there's a bit more tree covering, it might be okay. But winter time in North India is uh, is is quite cool. Mm. But you know, he's actually putting himself out there to feel that with his own body. Mm. So you know, so there's this aspect of it, and being with that, and all the time recognizing. His body's nature to die, to pass away. It's something not to attach to or to um, seek as as a sort of object of pleasure. So he's with the body, but you're not extolling the body as some, in some cosmetic way, um, and yet also providing kinds of advice on medicines and proper care for the body and care for the sick. So in this very in this kind of uh, seeming paradox. You know, liberation through through a particular through the body through through being here through really being here and because when we begin to practice you recognize that although we very much think and dread the fact that we're here and hope all kinds of things about it and wish it was like this and want it to be like that actually we're not really here <laughs> you know most of most of us are in the wanting to be somewhere or wanting not to be somewhere yeah. 
or wanting it to be like this or wanting it to be like that but actually just being where it is is, is relatively uh, rare <laughs> experience <laughs> and it's this kind of uh, you almost need these this very coarse elements to keep you know, holding one's attention saying look just be with this will you just be with this because <laughs> the mind so wants to skip off and there's a tremendous power to do so sometimes not a power that we have under our control it just flies off it runs out, it's not something we decide to do but it, it just runs out into the future, the past um, interpretations, analysis, speculation and so on or reactions to being here and it's actually this whole um, energetic tumult of reactions and responses and critiques and analysis and interpretations that uh, the seems to be the real thing that we need to clear for liberation mm. not actually you know being here but but thinking about being here or not wanting to be here or wanting to be somewhere or another it's actually this kind of um, element of of clinging craving craving not to, craving to have, craving to make it this way or that way mm. and so actually this, this very um, elemental life, conditioned life of being embodied is something to use as a kind of I mean to awaken to by learning to just to, to be with this and find the cultivation enables one's one's um, attention or one's one's mental power to be grounded in into being present rather than left ungrounded where it can spin out into the possible, the probable, the ought to, the should, the maybe, the if only realm, the kind of hungry ghost realm of inadequacy and frustration and suffering mm. this is a particular pragmatic quality of the, the Buddha's teaching he didn't really you look at the teachings proportionally spent quite very little amount of teaching actually on the Nibbana or the deathless almost no definitions of it just a brief mention of it now and then as being the possible and this watch would happen and very little no descriptions of it just saying it's peaceful or it's the cessation of suffering and most of the teachings about dealing with feelings dealing with sense contact handling bodily phenomena breathing in and out you know this stuff and <coughs> very strikingly when one considers the kind of religious thought religious teachings and of course Indian similar to anywhere else is a lot of it those times about gods and deities and you know things of the other world and tremendous um, otherworldly forces and immortality and so forth and these are the kind of things that delight and inspire the mind 
and, and so this is the kind of one tendency in, in religious thought is to bring all these kind of great one uh, uplifting notions and abstractions um, and ideals is that aspect of it so then you know people who are not Buddhists say well, what, what kind of what's the name what's your deity what do you worship in Buddhism what's your big, big thing you know, is it love or justice or truth or the nature of reality? So it's suffering. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it sounds kind of miserable. You worship suffering. No, we don't worship it. It's, it's our kind of pivot. You know, we kind of pivot around. We focus on it. We pivot around it. The Buddha gave us this. You know, it sounds a pretty wretched kind of teacher. It gives you suffering as a something. So no, it's a truly compassionate teacher. Because it's actually, you know, it's not, we say what's c- compassionate teaching would be how, you know, the divine loves us and how we're really all right and we're to be blessed and sooner or later the, the loving one will gather us back. That sounds like a compassionate teaching. Um, but actually, um, you know, maybe that's true. But <coughs> really compassionate teaching is saying, is in the Buddhist sense is to say you know this is where you get stuck this is how to get out of it hmm. which doesn't sound so wonderful uh, as the ever loving will look after you but as a, as a here and now direct reality actually it's something I can relate to sometimes I can't relate to the ever loving looking after me in, in this planet through life it doesn't seem to be doing it all that well <laughs> but in terms of generating suffering he's doing a mar- marvellous job <laughs> <Come on. laughs> and so there's literally a room to contemplate that so it's really saying there's no you know there's plenty you can't really this is this is not a subtle meditation object this is this is worldwide you can contemplate that as, it, as you're affected by that the despair or the fear or the wriggling or the frustration or the resentment or the blocking it or the trying to look the other way mm. and, so, so, and that you know that particular energy in us that just really doesn't want to be with this at all and the tremendous uh, kind of penetrative wisdom and power of the Buddha to say actually you can if you can hold yourself within that and this is just you know, a phrase I'm using whatever that means hold yourself a sort of sense of collect yourself gather develop the strengths to gather yourself within that you'll, you'll pass through that or something will pass through that there'll be a passing through that it's almost as if this mind which is like tumbleweed and gets blown every which way by thoughts and impulses could gather enough gravity the enlightenment factors of wisdom and, uh, and mindfulness and energy and so forth, we gather enough of that to actually stay and, and plunge through this wave of anguish as it beats on us. We actually could stay there and it, let it pass. Mm. And it's just that, really. As a kind of snapshot of the realization process 
the snapshot of the past is what it takes to gather up those faculties, those indriyas, those enlightenment faculties, or whatever you, you know, whichever particular analysis you want to use, just gathering enough of that up to, to hold yourself here in presence and let the wave break over. And it's a very daunting wave because it seems to be the wave of suffering seems to be everything that we are, everything that we you know, our bodies are going to die, break up. Oh goodness, have pain. Oh no. You know. Um, the emotions going up and down, up and down, up and down. Getting hurt, not wanting to be hurt. Wanting to have love, not getting enough. These kinds of um, wanting to be happy, not getting enough. Having some happiness and having it broken. You know, having our hearts broken. You know, this. Oh goodness. This is coming up. So these are very powerful things. Trying to figure out what to do and re- realizing how you can you, know, you can think and plan and scheme and still the whole all your plans can get dashed in a moment. I mean, you're like a flat tire can can just completely let <laughs> anything else. So you see just how how big this this wave of of um, suffering can be in our our thoughts. All that we have, seemingly our thoughts, our bodies, our emotions are so bound up with it and unable to really provide a, um, a refuge from that. They are it. You know? They're the things that happen, they, happen, they break over us. Wave after wave of these phenomena break over us. Not only can't they provide us with a refuge, but actually continually provide us with sense of um, trying to hold it together, breaking up, trying to get it figured, trying to calm it down, trying to brighten it up, and then it goes glum again, and then trying to, you know, drag it together again, and it stays together, it breaks up again. Goodness. And it's through, actually, the meditative experience is, is a deepening whereby there can be through, through the, the power of, of really um, focusing on the, all these elements that we take ourselves to be, that which focuses on the elements seems to almost distill out of them, you know, or recognise it's rather like a space in, in the room. You know, it's there all the time, and it seems the room is holding together, but actually, you took the walls and the roof away, it'd still be there. Mm. So this this inner quality, this wisdom that actually is right in there, you know, in our, somehow, you know, in, in the knowing of the body, the knowing of the thoughts, the knowing of the, or the witnessing of them, or the awareness of them, it's right there in them. It's not them, and yet it's not apart from them either. And when they cease, that's what's left. When they end, that's what's left. And the qualities of meditation are there to give us that encouragement and the faith and the power actually, the, the samadhi power, the mindfulness attention, the samadhi power to just hold the space through those waves mm. and, so, and rather than jump onto the next wave when one goes down, just to be able to be in that subsiding so there is 
you know, both the attention and the power and the reminders, if you like, the faith, the reminder to not jump to the next thought. Mm. So you really let the last one end. Not we the mood ceases not to oh well, that's nice and then just be with the ending of that. Mm. And what's left? What's there? Mm. So there's a whole range of faculties that need to be brought to light and exercised to bring around this particular realization. Mm-hmm. You say there's quality of effort, mindfulness, and quality of faith, that sense of you can do it, it's there for you, you know, it's possible. Be open, don't jump to anything, let alone a conclusion. Um, the quality of samadhi, which is a sense of being able to hold one-pointedness. Mm-hmm. Quality of equanimity, which is something that enables us to be able to embrace and uh, be serene in the ups and downs of life, in emotional um, waves. And so you might say it's all of these. And yet, of course, realization is none of these in particular, but it's what arises as these are applied to this uh, ongoing um, runs and waves of phenomena, bodily phenomena, mental phenomena, so on. And really feeling them as they are. This is the actual crux of the teaching, isn't it? liberation through this very conditioned and conditioning process of body and mind. So as we <coughs> get kind of encouragement and one begins to, as we begin to practice, as we continue in practice, one of the uh, meditation both gives us a certain gravity, a certain clarity, but also reveals more fully you know, the, the core nature of the problem. And as it is more clearly revealed, one begins to also see the power of that. Mm. And the power of it is it's actually a dynamic process. The, the nature of the problem is the dynamic process of what's called thirst, craving, tanha. Craving has got tremendous energy, isn't it? It's a very powerful word. We may not think we're craving all the time. I don't seem to feel I'm craving. 
because it's generally it's like uh, something which has got which has got a lot of padding around it. Because most of when you can immediately respond to the first twitch of craving, it doesn't feel like craving. It just feels like I fancy some of that. Or crave, just fancy some of that. <laughs> so, don't mind one or another, just think I'll have one of those. And then says, Well, no, you can't. Well, I want it. <laughs> and then suddenly, sort of, a little bit more <laughs> intensity comes up there. And then, no, you definitely can't have that ever again in your life. And then there's suddenly, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, you get the irritation, the frustration, the anger, whatever. There's quite some energy there. <laughs> So it, it doesn't seem like it when it's um, when it's when you can kind of follow follow it. <laughs> but just sitting still for an hour or half an hour, then you you can see you get a feeling for that the power of that. It's, um, you know, sort of tugging and pushing and you know, seems quite innocuous at first, and then you actually contemplate the energy of it all. Wow. Where have I been for the last half an hour? <laughs> there you are arguing with somebody in your mind, telling telling them what it should be and setting them straight or remembering how much you suffer and how people have done your bad turn and all of the light and you went through that for ten minutes and then <laughs> what are you gonna do and where are you gonna go? And that was another five minutes and you think, My goodness, I've only been here for fifteen minutes, I've already ruined the planet three times. <laughs> It's it's turbocharged, so it's a tremendous power to it. And when one does a uh, you know long retreats, then you can kind of feel the some of the energy of this. Mm. And the energy of it is 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 blurs because it's 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 dazzling and it brings up a huge amount of thoughts and moods and perceptions and memories and so forth so we, we get kind of phased by all this stuff and you can't you know you don't see very clearly and so in that blur what's what is this? What's born in that blur is a sense of me I am I'm the passive person who's being beaten around by this stuff or I'm the person who's trying to desperately to not have this experience or I'm the person who really wants to be like this and can't make it. Or I'm the person who never did this. Or a stupid idiot who never did that right. And that's what the kind of gets engendered by this, this kind of this this sense of me, this person, this I am. And uh, you know, that we recognise this is, if you like, the the net result of that is the sense of a trapped entity in there. And if you ever ask, really ask yourself deeply, who, who's suffering then? Who is it? Who, who's, who is it? This, de- this person is definitely there. Oh, they, they suffer like crazy. You know, don't tell me there's nobody. So it really feels I'm really suffering a lot and it's hurting. Well, yeah, who, who, who is that then? Where, where are they then? Who is it? Well, it's. Because they never did this, yeah. But but who 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 actually? Um, I don't know. But it feels like this. It feels like. But, but who who's actually experiencing it then? 
well, but it shouldn't happen this way. <laughs> you know, you actually, you know, most, most of the time when you ask that question, the mind will kind of stop, and then it will, it will avoid the question. It's not important. It's a silly question, it doesn't matter, because it shouldn't be like this, and it should be like that. And I've tried so hard to be like this, and I never got that. You know, and you told me it'd be like this, but it wasn't. You know, so it always skids off onto that. But actually, who, who, is, who is suffering then? Who is it? Well, I don't know, but it, I don't know, but it really, it hurts a lot. <laughs> so it always, you know, it flips away, doesn't it, from this question. Question does seem important. It's a pointless question. And actually, but actually, is the the most important question. And you see how. Because when you ask that, and if you just hold it there, you've got the power to hold that there and take that deeply in. Oh. I don't know. The mind sort of stops. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe there isn't anybody suffering. So maybe nobody will get liberated either. Mm. Well, that kind of pulls the plug on my practice, doesn't it? I'm not going to get liberated. <laughs> but you do need to practice in order to recognise that you're not that you're not, not going to get liberated. And that's good news, because <laughs> you're not actually suffering. Mm. It's in the cessation, or the subsiding, or the seeing through, or the not being phased by conditions that that. Uh, be trying to get out of suffering, it actually embeds suffering. Mm. Because there's a certain, you can, certain, it's a volitional drive in that, there's a certain push with the I am, and it's, it's that particular push which is the push of craving. So the I, the I am is actually an attribute of of craving, and so it's not an idea. It's actually experience it. You know the feeling of that. Sometimes there's not much of an I am presence. It's quite, and then somebody gets on my nerves, and the I am comes rearing up. You know how dare they do this to me? Should I've tried and I'm trying. Who knows who I am? Goes on, and then that subsides. It's just. So the, the rising up of that, perhaps if you can feel it in a relative sense, when one feels very self-conscious, you know, big sense of everybody's looking at me or what do people think of me, you know, the intensity of that is suffering. And then when that subsides, well, there's still some out of somebody here, and yet I don't know who that is. There isn't a feeling for that. There isn't a notion of that. There isn't a holding to that.
I remember <coughs> many years ago in these kind of late teens and early twenties, it was um, a lot of my friends and I we used to take, take psychedelic drugs. So you get these kind of tremendous hallucinations that the mind would bring up, and uh, you know, pictures and patterns and notions and things. He's spooling off. It was quite interesting. Um, just to see how much your mind can create <laughs> just any old thing with a suggestion and a thought and people would, look, people would take these uh, things like LSD or mescaline and so on and they'd actually go and test themselves they'd go to a fun fair or something see if they could handle it in a fun fair these kind of bright lights and clowns and things not go crazy or freak out and sometimes you kind of okay let's go to get two of us go down to the fun fair and see if we can handle it we do that, or we go on a merry-go-round, or on a, a roller coaster, something like that. We we get very sensitive with these psychedelics. You, every sense input is extraordinarily evocative. So you just you go to places where there's lots of it happening, and see if you can just kind of blow your fuses. And it's a fairly silly, but uh, perhaps less silly than other things. Ways of of <laughs> that, that young men like to pass their time. <laughs> And uh, other people, sometimes a guy used to go and challenge the bathroom. Um, <laughs> so he had a thing about the bathroom. He didn't like this bathroom, and he'd take some of it, and he'd go and challenge, he'd go and, go and see if he could handle the bathroom. He'd kind of open the door, right, here's the bathroom, go in there. See if he could take the colours or the vibes or whatever the bathroom did to him. And he spent maybe an hour and a half in this bathroom, <laughs> challenging it. And you come out at the end of it, well, I managed the bathroom. You know. <laughs> 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 Another friend of mine, he had this kind of old army camouflage thing, which was like a net. So I think soldiers might have used it, some kind of net with had bits of cloth in it. And there were things, he'd hang things in this net. And he, he lived in this horrible, grotty, dark room when he put a red light bulb in this room so he'd lie there under this funny old net with his, his gloom <laughs> with these horrible things trailing out of the net you know seeing what he would do to his mind if he could handle it and sometimes he, we'd take it in turns we'd just say okay let's do half an hour in the net who can handle <laughs> 15 minutes under the net you know without going like thinking of giant spiders running over your ghosts sucking your blood or something without going completely potty so we kind of challenge ourselves like that and you know you come out thinking well you know you're more of a man because you managed to spend half an hour <laughs> <with> the net <laughs> but one of the most difficult things to do was to just sit still and do nothing <laughs> that was more challenging than anything else and particularly, I think the thing almost nobody ever ventured on, apart from very, very occasionally, is actually look at somebody else you know, for more than a few seconds. And just to see what happens, you know, the various images and worries and fears and passions and confusions and needing for affirmation, need, how am I with you, and all these kind of stuff that comes just seeing another person. You know, or 
perhaps even more challenging just to look at, look at yourself in the mirror goodness who's that and just see the kind of how much the, the need for security flares up you know you see another human being you know the kind of sometimes you know, isn't vocalized but some sort something starts to tremble with you know am I alright what do you think how I feel how are you am I, what are you going to do to me what should I do to you what do you want how are we going to manage this and it starts shifting around mm. you know very evocative you know turning looking at your own face for example you don't don't like it or you do it should be like this should be like that who is that who is a slob you know getting old ugly um, or just nobody just a mask God but you know keep looking at it until there's nobody there and so the most uh, challenging <coughs> so you can be actually getting a, a sense of this kind of you know what psychedelics present to you is just how the, the whole perceptual world is suddenly amplified and thrown up uh, but it doesn't give you any way of really any tools for dealing with it you just can recognize what a crazy world it is but you don't have any liberation from it so I'm not not recommending <laughs> this route <laughs> because now actually life to me is psychedelic enough already I mean <laughs> just seeing what happens in when your attention is a little more attuned, the kind of moods and feelings and perceptions that can go on in that, and uh, you know, because this this perceptual, you know, evocative realm, you know, or this experience of who am I, what am I, what should I be, how are you, what's this happening, you know, what should I do about this, is running all the time. That's that's the ghost that haunts us. That's the that's the that's where the, the suffering is in that, you know, because it's always wanting something, wanting to be something, wanting not to be here, wanting that. Don't like this. What am I supposed to do about that? How can I figure that out? Is that all right? Are you all right? Am I all right? Are we all right? How long should it be? Is this really as right as it could be? Well, you know, hey, gods. Um, you, know, you just try sitting in a room with ten people in silence with your eyes open. I mean, you know. It's, it's extraordinarily challenging for people and uh, even in monastic communities it's really quite, quite difficult people tend to you know five seconds and close eyes just can't you know, it's just involuntary you know, just too somehow too trembly to, to be having that experience because all this stuff starts rolling up and um, you know so even in this monastery it can be quite difficult for people just to live in, in the house because they have to go out and challenge the bathroom for ten minutes <laughs> and <laughs> with what comes up with that or seeing another person walking across the landing or hearing a door close what it can trigger off or you know, just sensing there's other people around uh, and yet, you know so this actually is something that you need to develop a resource to deal with because this is this is your or not your but this is the realm of suffering that we need to to understand and be able to 
hold ourselves within you know, to let those waves pass over just to you know to be there with that and see as we hold ourselves in that the subsiding of those nervousness or the uh, impatience or the reaching out tendencies or the recoiling tendencies they just level out this really is the you know the, the wisdom aspect of meditation it's not you know the, the centering aspect of it, it's the wisdom aspect of it and the centering or the samadhi aspect of it is there to enable us to hold ourselves steady enough to allow that wisdom aspect to to do its work because it's true you can't really have wisdom without samadhi because um, you need to because your mind just gets stuck immediately just jumps onto things and starts reacting and reverberating so you need that sense of gravity to stop doing that and then you can still be with all those reverberations and yet you're not caught in it and through that reverberating realm the hearing sounds, the seeing sights, the sense of wavering around those, you get the sense phenomena and then the attraction or repulsion or aversion or interest in them, that kind of level of wavering and then behind that the sense of I wish I wasn't, I wish I wasn't, I wish I was, I wish I wasn't, why could it be, why couldn't I be, that behind that you kind of keep holding through that those layers begin to peel off and you come to this sense of that kind of wanting to be or wanting not to be mm. and when it comes to that you know, who is that? and so you can actually plunge through this, these skins, these layers which are like the layers of an onion just peeling them off so this is the realm for it this human realm a particular kind of human realm is true where there is virtue and there is meditation, samadhi and there is wisdom and it's about sense restraint renunciation, loving kindness compassion, it's, it's a particular kind of human realm, it is recognisably human and to me this was also uh, personally a kind of inspiring thing about Buddhism out of the books you know when we put the book down you find actually there are living Buddhists are generally you know, cranky, humorous warty um, <laughs> you know, they're definitely human beings you know, and some of them are just very warm, humorous, loving human beings with funny little habits and this, that and the other you, know, oh, that's, that's, you, know, you don't see any of them are kind of like sort of bleached out paper or, or they've all got gnarly characteristics to them you know, I never found a, a you know, certainly the ones I've known, uh, uh, ones I've met, the most highly regarded people, like His Holiness Dalai Lama, Ajahn Chah, 
and Sumato, Master Hua and so forth. Various traditions, they're all very definitely human beings. And uh, they're not going to be becoming less human, but even more human and uh, and funny and interesting as human beings. So that's also really kind of in- interesting because the teaching is about anatta, not self. Who are these people? You know? And you realize anatta is not an, not an annihilation of self, but just to allow a sense of releasing these conditions from craving. So these conditions, these conditioned phenomena, this mentality, this emotionality, this embodiment can happen, but it's not being anguished over or puffed up. You know? And you realize, well, how else could it be? You know? Because anything else other than that, any, anything other than traceless release, you know, So it's a release that's traceless. You don't see kind of nibbanas walking around, <laughs> you know, with no form and no identity and no name and no number and no colour. You don't see those walking around. But you do see um, you see conditions that are not being hung on to, and they're light and they're free and they're flowing and they're joyous and they're responsive and they're compassionate and they're bright, you know, and they're like this. And this again was a. I found this very inspiring. How within this human realm, it's like like that. You you see it. So then the Buddha taught. He recognised the, the two obvious ways, in which, we mistake the spiritual path, or we don't even bother with the spiritual path. Uh, one is the way of uh, where we try to get our sufferings through sensory indulgence. So it's a continual not being here in a realm of continual distraction. And he said, you know, these are people who don't probably wouldn't even conceive of it as a spiritual path until until well, no, some do actually. <laughs> yeah. And then there are those uh, who maybe conceive of a spiritual path, but they think it's about getting rid of everything, the self-mortifying ascetic uh, traditions or practices which are about denying the body, not denying feeling, denying thought, denying emotion. And the Buddha himself went that way. You know, these, so these are the two ways in which a person might try to <coughs> get rid of suffering or... Um, you know, Maybe you could annihilate this whole system that suffers. That would do it. So he himself tried this and recognized, well, all, all you get left with is a tr- tremendously powerful will that wants to get out. That's, that's the result. <laughs> you don't get out. What you get left with is a tremendously powerful will that wants to get out. There's always pushing and struggling and you know, breaking the body or whatever. That's what you're left with. That's how far it takes you. And then, then he, his own, then he taught his own practices, which first was practices of skillful practices like morality, loving kindness, good conduct, and so forth. 
And he said, there's this, which is a middle way. And then he said, I, also I teach the way to the ending of what is skillful, to the ending of skillful intentions, to the place where skillful intentions subside without remainder. So he's saying even the skillful isn't something to stick on to. So this is another place where we can cling. Um, you know, and this takes us to um, beautiful places. These are things like the Brahma Loka, the Buddhist cosmology, these realms of radiant bliss and joy, uh, rapture, formlessness and so forth. So skillful states including meditation is a skillful thing, definitely a skillful thing. If clung to, takes us there. Because what does it do? It provides a place for the uh, forces of craving and entityhood to take ground. And it's often an immaterial level or a fine sense level. And so this is the the kind of the hurdle that meditators face because yes there is this possibility and yes it is skillful you know, and yes it is to be cultivated and yes it is to be let go of it's not, which doesn't mean get rid of it it means within that see the, the, the you know use it rather than stick with it use it for wisdom to arise use it for investigation to arise, use it for clarity to arise into the nature of who is this, I would say was one simple way of expressing that, um, the realization point. Mm.